This morning, we are going to start our, this is the final sermon on Romans. It has been a journey. Amen. 16 chapters, 16 weeks. Some of those weeks got interrupted <laughs> with quite a few different things. But we are in the final hurdle. We are at the end of the book of Romans. 16 chapters of teaching and really practical wisdom. Amen. Paul has some awesome teaching and practical wisdom. Uh, John, could you do me a favor? There's a fan right in there, uh, right in that door. Could you set that up for me? I'd appreciate it. It is a lot hotter than I thought it was going to be. Paul's letter to the Romans is regarded as one of the greatest letters ever written. Ever written. It's the greatest letter, perhaps the greatest letter in history. The significance of it can't be overstated. I like uh, the truth of it should not be ignored. Amen? Before we get started into the message, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, again, we come to you. Lord, I thank you that we can just come to you, that we can just come and talk with our Master. Lord, I thank you and praise you for all that you've done throughout this series. Lord, all that you've... uh, Revealed during this series. Lord, I thank you for the truth that's spoken, the written truth. Lord, I pray this morning that as we go over this book, Lord, that we would have ears to hear, that we would have eyes to see. Lord, I pray that your presence would just move, continue to move in this place. Lord, it's been so sweet in the sanctuary this morning. Lord, I thank you for family that's here. I thank you for those who may listen over podcasts, and God, that this would just be a blessing and encouragement to them. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to tell you that in this series, uh, the the 16 weeks and, and things that have happened in between, this has been one of the toughest seasons of my life. This has been one of the, uh, it, it hasn't been the toughest but the toughest seasons of what I faced in ministry. Throughout this series, I've personally experienced uh, heartache and sickness. And honestly, it really knocked me for a loop. It really kind of messed me up a little bit. And some of it was natural, and I believe some of it was spiritual. But there are times in our life when the enemy attacks us. There are times in our life when the enemy attacks us and it takes everything we have to stand and fight. Amen? I want to say I am so proud and grateful for this season because it wasn't my strength or just my strength and prayers that got me through, but truly your strength and prayers that helped me get through. October, as many of you know, is what's called Pastor Appreciation Month. And honestly, well, I'm thankful for those who appreciate me as the pastor. I can't begin to tell you how thankful my family is for you guys and how much we appreciate you. Um, it has been tough and it has been hard and, and, and I, I haven't gone through nearly what other people go through. Uh, but I thank you for being family and friends and those who have taken not just, a, not just a friendship approach to us, and not just a pastoral approach, but 
really uh, just brothers and sisters in arms. Amen? Sometimes we have to do battle together. There's going to be battle scars. There's going to be wounded. There's going to be hurt. But He brings healing and He brings peace. Amen? Amen. Moving back to Romans. Uh, Paul begins Romans chapter 16 by acknowledging those who helped him in ministry. This is interesting. He, the church, this battlefield that we call ministry. And, and you say, Pastor David, is that overstated? No, it's not. Ministry is a battlefield. Your Christian walk is a battlefield. There is an enemy that is out to get you. There is an enemy that has made you a target. A battlefield that we call ministry. He begins this way in Romans chapter 16. It says this, verse 1 and 2, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. The first, what we hear of, is this woman, Phoebe. Phoebe. There's some interesting insights about this woman named Phoebe that you should probably be aware of. First, Paul says for them to receive her. says, welcome her. It seems of she's, that she's of some great importance. Phoebe, it's speculated that uh, she's the one that was delivering Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Paul says, welcome her, receive her. It's clear she's an important part of the church, and many believe her to be a deacon of the church in Centria, so one of the first female deacons in the Bible. Now, much of, uh, when you go from verse 1 and verse 2, how many have your Bibles with you this morning? Amen. If you looked from verse 3 to verse 15, it's all greetings. It's all, hey, greet this person and greet this person, and here's greet them and greet them. And so uh, it's good, and while they're worthy of note, we're not going to spend the last sermon in Romans by going over all the biographies of these various people. So what I would think would be the most beneficial to you would be to maybe look back at the letter as a whole and refresh ourselves. Say refresh. Refresh ourselves on the teaching that Paul has given us. I like what Chuck Swindoll said. He said this, The letter to the Romans stands as the clearest and most systematic presentation of Christian doctrine in all of Scripture. It is the clearest and most systematic approach, presentation of Christian doctrine in all of Scriptures. If you want to follow Christian doctrine and embrace Christian faith, it's vitally important that you read, that you study, and that you love the book of Romans. It is vitally important. If you want to know what Christian doctrine is, it's the theme. There, there, there's a theme to the book of Romans. And it's found at the beginning of Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. The theme of Romans is this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, by the right, but the righteous man shall live by faith. How many know the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes? Come on. I'm going to ask you to say amen this morning. Amen? Again, right there. 
There is a false doctrine that's being spread, even within the modern church. And it clearly goes against this essential truth. It's, that all, it's this. Here, here's what the doctrine is. Here's what the false doctrine is. That all are saved, regardless of whether or not they accept Christ. Regardless of belief or lifestyle, those, and I want to say this clearly, those that have been or will be saved are only redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? We're Christians this morning. This is what we believe. They are saved by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We should not forget that in this age of tolerance, that while God is not willing that any should perish, many will make the choice to reject him. Many will make the choice to reject him and his sacrifice. And for that, there is eternal consequences. Now, I want to say this. When it comes to who's in heaven and who's not, we don't know. Amen? Sometimes we just don't know. We don't know what people's last moments are like. We don't know what's their, we may know what their life was like the entire time, but we don't know what their last moments are like. And so we have hope and pray for those who would die, that even if they didn't, didn't seem like they were embracing Christ during their life, I, I pray that there was a recognition, like the thief on the cross, amen? Come on, sometimes at the very end, my grandfather was one of them. My grandfather was sick as a dog with cancer. He was dying. My grandma had hounded him. My grandmother had hounded him the entire, almost the entire marriage. You need Jesus. You gotta, you, you gotta have, without Jesus, nothing is possible. You, you gotta, you gotta be, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing my own thing. That was my grandpa. Doing my own thing. He's on his deathbed. He looks at my grandmother and says, I need this Jesus you've been telling me about. He gets saved some 80-odd minutes before he goes, before he passes. We never know what people's last moments are like, but it is vitally important that we remember God is not willing that any should perish, but there are those who will reject him. They will reject his sacrifice. And unfortunately, there are eternal consequences for that. There is a heaven, and it's not talked about a lot, but there is a hell. Come on. I'm talking about just good, simple gospel truth this morning. There is a heaven, and we like to talk about that, but also there is a hell. And that should be acknowledged with, with never, never with glee, never with well, you know where they are, or, or boy, I hope they're in this place, or something like that. It's, it should agonize our hearts to think about those who are condemned. But it's an important understanding that we should have as Christians, that while there is a heaven, there is eternal consequences for sin. If we were to break Romans down, I mean, if we were to take Romans and break it down, we would see that the first three chapters show us how messed up we are. The first three chapters of Romans, I mean, it just, it just shows us. It, the, but the reason it shows us how messed up we are is to say this is what Christ has saved us from. 
We don't have to wallow in our stinking, dirty mess. How many know some people that just, they just wallow in it? I mean, it's their old, stinking, dirty mess, and, and they're just wallowing in it. We don't have to do that. The purpose of Romans 1 through 3 shows us what Christ has saved us from. The good news of the gospel is that we can be freed from that which leads to death. Amen? We can be freed from that. How is that possible? That's where we move forward in the breakdown. So the breakdown of Romans 1 through 3 shows us how messed up we are. 4 through 5 shows us this. It shows that we receive the righteousness of God by grace through faith. Amen? Go to the next slide. It says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. How many are so glad that we have a hope in the glory of God? This is how we are freed from our mess. But we have to be careful. We have to be careful. This is a verse that as I'm... uh, this is a verse that, man, we, we should memorize this verse. We should have this verse just like written on our hearts, right? Because this is essential to our faith. We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. We have access by faith into His grace. These are essentials. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Man, these are all good and excellent things, but we have to be careful about something. Don't believe that once we accept Christ, now it's all sunshine and rainbows, right? I mean, most of you know this. We, it's not all, how many have been saved for a while? It's not all sunshine and rainbows, is it? It's not all puppy dog tales. Come on. I don't even like puppy dogs. I'm just kidding. I like some, not ours, but that's okay. <laughs> We shouldn't be deceived. In fact, the Bible says that we should expect trouble. Do you know that? The Bible says we should expect trouble. We should expect opposition. Because the enemy is not going to lie down and leave you alone just because you accepted Christ. Man, I I had such a... I really wanted to talk to Steve Mann today. I really... I was going to use him in this sermon. He's a... Just so you know... Not, there's not going to be any youth tonight because the, the Mann family is going to be ministering uh, music over at Good Sam at 6 p.m. So if you think of it, stop by. But I was going to use Steve. Instead of using Steve, oh, let's see, Jenny and John. How you doing? <laughs> Jenny's like, I ain't doing this. No, no when, okay, so here's the thing. You get saved. Jenny gets saved, John is saved, and, and, and so you come together, and you come together in marriage, and, and, and listen, it's not like the enemy says, well, I can see that John loves Jesus, and Jenny loves Jesus, so I'm just going to leave him alone. I'm just going to back off. No, no, that's not what the enemy does. The enemy understands, that, listen, that's when they become a target. That's when they become a target. That's when their marriage becomes a target. If anything, you become a bigger target the more committed you are to Christ. Amen? Come on. I want you to repeat this after me. There will be trouble. Uh-oh. Say this again. There will be trouble. Now, I, uh, 
if you grew up like I did, you didn't say those things. How many, uh, how many know? That's not positive confession, Pastor. Come on, that's a bad confession. We just, we just got to be positive and everything's going to be okay. Just be positive. Just speak good things. Hey, let me tell you, you can wear blinders if you want to. But the truth and the scriptural truth is that if I can be positive about anything, I am positive there's going to be trouble. Come on. If I can be positive, there is going to be trouble. And guess what? Guess what? Listen to this. This is so cool. This is so cool. Trouble can be a good thing. Pastor David, you're talking crazy now. You're talking nuts, Pastor David. What are you talking about? How can trouble be a good thing? Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this. And not only that, we just talked about the hope of glory. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Tribulations is another word for trouble, right? Knowing that trouble or tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Amen. Amen. Sometimes we have trouble in our lives. I can't begin to tell you as I was, trouble may not look good when you're in it. The storm does not look good when you're in it. The chaos does not look good when you're in it. But when you're on the other side and you look back at what God has brought you through and you begin to understand that now you are stronger, now you are growing, now you have hope for the next battle because it is on its way. Amen? Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's difficult. These are real life situations. It's difficult. It's painful. But my, my, my Bible tells me that what the enemy intended for evil, God will use for good. Amen? That what the enemy intended for evil, God will use for good. And if you just hold on during that fight, God will bring you through it, and he will make you stronger for it. Amen? Man, I remember laying in my hospital bed, writhing in pain, my mind being attacked with anxiety and depression, and telling my wife, I don't know why God has put me here, but I pray that he would use me even in this place. I don't understand it. Lord, let me be thankful because my suffering isn't nearly as bad as what others go through. And honestly, having gone through it and being mostly on the other side of it, I am so thankful for the peace of God. Romans is a pretty good book, amen? It's got some good stuff in it. If we continue further, and it brings us to chapter 6 through 8, the, the breakdown. Pastor Chuck Swindoll, I like how he says this. Uh, I've gotten some commentary from him. And he put this when he wrote that these chapters demonstrate God's righteousness and being transformed from rebels to followers. Come on. How many before you got saved, you were a rebel? You were messed up, right? It's, it's how his righteousness transforms us from rebels to followers. Romans 6, 12 through 14 says this. 
Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. There's an interesting dynamic here that brings up the, the matter of free will and choice. It's this, do not let sin reign in your body. It's a choice. When you are committed to Christ, I'm not talking about those who are unsaved. I'm talking about those who are part of the body. Do not let sin reign in your body. Do not present yourselves as instruments of unrighteousness. These are choices. Are you going to present yourself as an instrument of righteousness? Or are you going to do what Paul says and do not present yourselves that way? Amen? There are too many Christians who just let themselves be swept away by sin. We get swept away by it. One person said it this way, you don't always have a choice in what happens to you, but you have a choice in how you respond to it. Amen? I didn't write that, but it sure sounds good. You don't always have a choice in what happens to you. Circumstances happen in our life, but we have a choice in how we respond to those things. Being under grace means that we are no longer slaves to sin. Amen? We have the means to overcome it in our lives. We have the ability through Christ to live in righteousness. Romans 6, 20-23 says this, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. When you were slaves to sin, righteousness had no part in your life. That's what it says. You, you, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you were now ashamed? When you, were, when you were slave to sin, I mean, the only fruit that you had was bad fruit. Those things that you're ashamed of. Those things that if you go back and you let the enemy remind you of what you did, you'll be ashamed of those things. That's what it says. For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. And the end is everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Amen. Come on. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. There are some in this room who have become slaves to sin. They have become slaves to their sin. They have been set free from sin, but they have taken the shackles and put them back on themselves. They chose to become slaves to the sin that they have been set free from. They chose to. Your feelings dictate your behavior. How many have ever seen someone who's just totally led by their feelings? How many have ever seen someone that's just, well, if they're angry, watch out. Come on, Cindy just laughed. She must know someone real personal. <laughs> if, if they're angry, you better watch out. Boy, if they're in a good mood, boy, it's pleasant. That's great. But if they're in a bad mood, whoo. There you go, Sue. Hold on. Hold on. We have the ability and power through Christ to overcome sin in our life. So when anger rises itself up, a situation or, 
or a circumstance comes up to where we should be angry about it, now we look at it and go, okay, is this righteous anger or unrighteous anger? Is this righteous or unrighteous? And how do we move forward in that? Are we always successful? Not likely. <laughs> how many are always successful? No hands? Good. John McMurtry? No? Okay, just want to make sure. Listen. It's important to recognize the sin, repent of it, and do better. We, we recognize the sin. We recognize the anger, the lust. The, we recognize what we did, and then we repent of it. What does repent mean? To turn 180 degrees and go the other way. It doesn't mean that you come back to it six months later. It doesn't mean that you come back to it three months later. To repent means to fully turn away from, to, to surrender it to God, and to go about doing better next time. Don't choose to be a slave to sin in your life. If you remember back with me, um, moving forward in the, in the breakdown, Romans 9 through 11, do you remember what was so special about that? Anybody? Romans 9 to 11 is written specifically to the Jewish believers. But there's a lot that is there for us to learn from. Uh, this is where we spoke about the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism. How many remember those sermons? The differences between Calvinism and Arminianism. Uh, or the, the better way to put it would be the sovereignty of God and how it works within the free will of man. Uh, we covered it fully then. I'm not going to rehash everything now. But the main points were these. Uh, for the most part, Calvinism says that God only chose some for salvation, right? That those are the elect. There is no choice in the matter, and no, wonder, no matter what, they will be saved. No matter what. Now, here's the interesting argument, or the interesting debate. And remember, this is an in-house debate. This is not what determines Christians versus non-Christians. There's plenty of people who are Calvinists that love the Lord and love people. Amen. Come on. There's some just down the street here. We love some people at the we love we we should love all people, but we love people at the Baptist Church, right? We love people at the Christian Reformed Church. So we might not agree with everything theologically, but they are brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. We can't become tribal. We can't become so tribal, well, we're in our church and they're in our church and they're in their church and we're gonna stay away. I'm telling you, unless there's false doctrine being preached. That's when we're going we're gonna to get into that in just a little bit. But if there, you know, there's little nuances here and there, but there are brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to fellowship with them. We want to praise God and worship God with them. Amen? We want to be a part of their lives, and they should be a part of ours. But when it comes to Calvinism, they would say that only some are saved, that only some are the elect, and there's no choice that they have. Uh, for the most part, Arminians believe that God in his omniscience saw who would choose him. He saw down our lives and, and when we would choose him, and then they are made the elect. As Arminians, we believe, what ch this church believes, is we believe Christ died for all. And the gift of salvation is, is available for all of those who freely choose to accept it. Amen. I don't agree with uh, this guy on many things, but I like, and I said this during the sermon last time, I like what John MacArthur said, who is a Calvinist, by the way. 
Uh, he was asked about Calvinism and Arminianism and free will and the elect and the sovereignty of God. He said this. He said, I don't know. Give me a break. He said, I'm not God. I like that. He said, it's not, he said, it's not my problem. But we can see clearly in Scripture God's sovereignty as well as man's responsibility. It's clear. He says, I don't know. That's, too, that's, that's, that's a big question. He says, I'll ask him that when I get there. Amen. There's some questions. How many have some questions when we get there? I got questions. I got lots of questions. Paul shows us in chapters 9 through 11, Israel at some point, there will be a great revival. And I'm talking about in the nation of Israel. There will be a great revival with Jews having the blinders removed and coming to Christ. Then we get into the last chapters of Romans, chapters 12 through 16. And this is where we end up back today. Hopefully, you've been paying, how many have been paying attention throughout the last few weeks? How many paid attention throughout the whole series? Oh, Gary. Gary did. Hallelujah. I have hope. No, that's all right. This is why, uh, first, I encourage you to take notes. Number one, I, I, I want, you should do that. Number two, uh, listen to it on podcast. Uh, it is available on podcast. It'll be, it'll be up there for a while. So uh, if, if you are struggling and you think, oh, man, I should read something in Romans or I get something from Romans, it's up there for you. Amen? Yeah. Oh, amen. <laughs> Gary, you don't have to. You're good. <laughs> These are the chapters that are filled with practical Christian living. 12 through 16, I mean 12 through 15, really. Hopefully you've been paying attention, but in this, what I covered just this last few weeks, Paul doesn't pull any punches. I like that about Paul. But he just shoots straight with us. In our everyday lives, Paul tells us to present ourselves to God for service. Present ourselves to God. Live for Him, not for yourself, is what he says. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I like the wording here. It's kind of older language. but I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He's not, we're not asking anything unreasonable of you. Come on. We're, the only reasonable service to God is that you present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Man, I like that. Paul tells us in these chapters what it means to behave like a Christian. What does it mean to behave like a Christian? In a culture that tells us to live however we want, Paul reminds us of what is godly. Paul reminds us to live as living sacrifices. This is an important part of Romans. And then we come back to the last chapter in Romans, chapter 16. So we went through chapters, uh, we went through chapter 16, we got through verses 1 and 2, we talked about Phoebe, and then we went through verses 3 through 15 are very much greetings to different people in different biographies. Paul has shown his love to the many people that he mentions. And then he ends this book with a warning for them and for us. He ends this whole book. But before we end the book, I want to ask you, uh, I got a pop quiz for you. How many like tests? Now, I, I, I'm, I, I'm 
struggling about whether or not to single anybody out. So let's just put this out there. Who wrote the book of Romans? You're all wrong. Did you know you're all wrong? How many know the answer? Who wrote the book of Romans? Even Bob is back there going, Pastor, I don't know if I can take this anymore. (laughs) Bob is like, no, it's Paul for sure. Paul did not write the book of Romans. In case you're interested in who did write the book of Romans, it was his secretary. Ah, it was a man named Tertius. A man named Tertius. Tertius actually wrote the words. Yes, Paul dictated the words. But the, ones who, the one who wrote the book of Romans. <laughs> Jenny, oh. I would have won. I would have, oh, I could have bet money there. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Don't bet money on Romans and Paul. <laughs> Good lesson for everybody. Uh, no, Paul, Paul dictated it. His secretary, Tertius, wrote down all the words. But it's interesting here, and it may seem trivial. You say, Pastor David, why did you say? I mean, that's kind of trivial. Why does that matter? Here's the thing. What's not trivial about it is this. It's thought that this last warning that Paul gives us, this last warning has so much urgency to it that Paul picks up the pen and writes this part himself. Rather than dictate it, he picks up the pen and writes these words. Go to the next slide. Now I urge you, brethren, or urge you, church, listen. Note those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Paul picks up the pen to write this. It's thought that he picks up the pen and then afterwards he, he gives it back to Tertius. He says this, church, watch out. Church, watch out. Be on the lookout for those who cause divisions and offenses. The meaning here is that there are some in the body who will cause trouble and others who are teaching false doctrine. There's some who will just, how many know, there's some people who just cause trouble. We've got trouble, my friends. Anybody? <laughs> trouble with a capital? All right. Rodden knows. In musicals, anybody? It was Oklahoma. Is that what it is? Anyway. Listen, Paul says, with an understanding of forgiveness, with an understanding of loving your neighbor and all that jazz, Paul says this, he gives clear instructions on who these people are and what to do with them. He says, these people are not those, are those who such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly. They serve themselves. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. The instruction from Paul is this, avoid them. Actually, the wording here is more direct. The wording here is cut them off. Amen? That's, this is getting tough now. Cut them off. They Don't let them, listen to me carefully, don't let them have a place in your life. 
they will become poison to your faith. They are poison in the well. And so you cut them off. They will poison you if you let them. About, I want to share a story. About five or six years ago, uh, we had become, and I talked to my wife about, about sharing this before I did, and she said it was fine because it's, so, it's relevant to what we're talking about here. About five or six years ago, uh, we had become close to a family, to a pastor and his family. Uh, we became very close. I was hanging out with, I hung out with him quite a lot. Um, we called each other for just to hang out as friends, for ministry advice, for, for all sorts of different things. And um, my wife would spend, was friends with his wife and would spend time with her. And as my wife uh, spent more and more time with her, I began to notice changes in our marriage. I began to notice that we were fighting a lot. I mean, a lot. I mean, there's little natural spats here and there, and that happens, but we were fighting a lot. And my wife's attitude towards me had become really, honestly, kind of horrible and disrespectful. And we had kind of talked about this, and when I spent time with the pastor, he would tell me about how bad his marriage was. He would tell me about how bad his marriage was, how his wife didn't respect him, and about all the fights that they had. So as I, was, I would talk to the pastor, I was like, what's going on here? It was so bad, in fact, he called me one night and said, I want to quit ministry. I just, I want to be done. My wife doesn't support me. My kids don't respect me. I don't, I, I'm done. I came to find out that every time my wife and his wife got together, she would start by bashing her husband, disrespecting her husband, not honoring her husband. And while he had his issues, for sure, what she was doing was just sinful. What she was doing was just sinful. And when I recognized what was happening, I, had to sit, I sat down with my wife and I had to show her how much this was hurting our marriage. It was hurting our marriage, even though this woman was a pastor's wife. She claimed to be a Christian, right? She was a Christian woman. Her influence was poison to us. And Jackie, I'm sure she prayed about it. And before long, it wasn't sure that it wasn't long before she saw what I saw. And the only choice we had was to cut off relationship. Now I know this is, this is, listen, this is practical application of scriptural truth. So I want you to listen to this carefully. We together would not allow this woman, regardless of what faith she claimed, to mess up our marriage. We together would not let this happen. Because of that, I also lost relationship with the pastor. I lost relationship, I mean, that along with a few other things, but he had started to make uh, really desperate and sinful decisions about the church, and before I knew it, he shut the whole thing down. He just shut the whole thing down. And the truth is, that, and I want to tell you the truth about this, even though it was correct and right for us to cut off relationship to save our marriage, it still hurts today. It does. We were friends. We was one of my best friends at the time. And it hurts when we think about that family, we think about the relationship, we think about the hurt. And... But we knew that the health of our relationship required us to take action. 
Sometimes the health of your faith, the health of your relationships, the health of your marriage, the health of your walk requires you to cut off those who are disruptive. Listen, those who cause divisions and offenses. Maybe they're not causing division. Maybe they're just preaching false doctrine. Cut them off. Preaching false doctrine, cut them off. Avoid them. You say, Pastor, that's kind of harsh. We have just a few minutes. Uh, when I was growing up in a church, I grew up in a large church. It was, it was 200 and it ballooned to about 1,200, 1,500, something like that. And around when it was 1,000 people or so, there was a couple in the church, an older couple, that were maybe in their 50s. Um, not older, you know what I mean. Okay, not, okay, in their 50s. John McMurtry's 51 today, so he's like, oh boy. In their 50s. Uh, maybe, the, maybe in their 60s. I'm not, I, I know they were retired. I know that. But here's the thing. They were a huge part of the church. I mean, they were in church leadership. And what we began to see was they were spreading gossip and false rumors I mean, they were causing division and dissension within the church, within the body. I mean, it was, it was gossip and backbiting. It was sinful. And it wouldn't stop. Pastor, I mean, the leadership approached them, said, hey, here's what we're hearing. They said, well, no, I mean, we're not. and it kept on. And it kept on, and it kept on, and it kept on. Finally, the final straw, and I, I don't believe any of this was taken lightly. I don't believe any of this was just like, oh, they caused division, so just forget them. No, no, I mean, this, took, this was prayer and, and time. Because we, we want to show people grace, amen? We want to show people grace and mercy and love. But there are times when it gets so bad, you just have to say, I have to cut this off. And so the pastor, at the end of the service, said, I'd like to meet with just the church family. If you're a visitor here, please, you're dismissed. And so all the visitors left, and all that was left of those church family. And he said this, you know who these people are. We're going to talk about them today. Because they have been causing division and gossip and backbiting and hurting this, this ministry and hurting this faith. And I know it's getting late, and we're going to get, be done in just a minute. And he said this, if you see them on the street, walk to the other side. Cut off relationship. We have to cut them off as a ministry and as a church, and I believe as believers. And he did that. I mean, this was like, you've got to be kidding me. I urge you. The word there, note, is actually different there. It's mark. Mark those who cause division. Mark those who cause controversy or cause offenses, who preach false doctrine. Mark them. Paul's urgency about this is clear. And the truth is that with our situation, with even the church situation growing up, boy, it can be difficult at times because you have a relationship with people, right? It can be difficult. It can hurt. But this is a real-life example of what Paul is talking about. He says, mark them. There are times where you have to cut people off to survive in your faith. Don't let it grab root in your life. Amen? Don't give a foothold. This is what Paul is saying. Don't give a foothold to the enemy. Amen? Amen. Stand with me this morning.
The last few verses in Romans include greetings from uh, Paul's friends to the church in Rome, including his secretary, Tertius, who says, I wrote this book. Uh, but Paul ends the letter to Romans with a prayer for the church. And it says this, chapter 16, uh, yeah, go back. The last one. Well, it says this. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. Paul's preaching, praying this over the church. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest. It means it, it was a secret, but now Christ has been shown. It's been made manifest. And by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. His last words to the Romans is that God would establish them for the glory of Christ. God would establish them for the glory of Christ. And I like what one commentary says. It says this, If there is anything that the book of Romans explains from beginning to end, it's the greatness and the glory of of the plan of God that Paul preached as a gospel. If there's anything that's amazing about this, it's this. It is good news. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you over those who are here this morning. Lord, I thank you for the series. I thank you for the book of Romans, that we have it for doctrine and practice. Lord, that we would follow it, that we would love it. Lord, I pray over those who are here, Lord, that my words wouldn't just be empty words, that they wouldn't take them and, and do nothing with them, but Lord, they would take them out into the community. They would take them to their jobs and with their loved ones. Lord, I pray that your words, not my words, but your words, would rule and reign. Lord, I thank you and praise you for your mercy and your peace in our life. Lord, I pray over those again who are going through it, who are going through storms. Lord, show them light at the end of the tunnel. Lord, I pray over each person here, Lord, that you would bless them and keep them. Lord, that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And God, that you would give us rest. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Uh, Elder and Deacon Board, we have a meeting directly after the service. And it'll be just, just a short one, but we'll see you there. God bless you. We love you guys.